0: Well, good morning, Canton Bible Church. It is good to be back here again. <clears throat> and thanks for that introduction. That that was encouraging. This morning, I would like to spend some time sharing with you about the kingdom uh, you, this church, with John David, you've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and you spent time on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew some time ago. Um, John David, I think, did a couple of sermons, at least, <laughs> on, the, on the prayer. And uh, two of those sermons dealt with the kingdom, And our church is going through the Gospel of Luke. And we just are coming into uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I had a chance to teach on verse 2, the kingdom. And when I talked to John David, he said, yes, do what you're doing there. I think it it would be good. So some of the things you may have heard already, but as Peter says, it's good to remind you of the things you already know, right? So we're good, we may do some of that this morning. There may be a couple of, of new things. I learned some things. It, it always happens. When you preach or teach, you learn, and you just wish you could, you could get it all to, uh, out to other people to help encourage and edify and build them up. That's what it's all about. Let me open us up in a, in a word of prayer and then we'll take a look at the kingdom. Father, <clears throat> we thank you for your word. It's so good and so true. And uh, without it, we would be lost. So thank you for it. We pray this morning that your spirit is working, helping me to share and explain and, and encourage everybody here this morning with your word and I pray also your spirit works in everybody who's listening that that they'll take it and embrace it and let it let it change them for the better and all of it this morning and in the days ahead for your glory and so we can pray this knowing it's part of your purpose and plan and so we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. All right. Everybody has a handout, should have, and there's two sides to it. So on the one side are all the, the verses that I'm going to be going through. That way you don't have to keep writing everything down. All right? And I'm going to go through a lot of verses, uh, so we're going to be moving pretty fast. On the other side is a picture that I'm going to develop and uh, I'm gonna slowly unfold this picture using those verses. And I'm gonna use what we might call uh, a term to describe what this is all about called a meta-narrative. The Bible is a meta-narrative of beginning to end. And um, we need to be reminded of, of a lot of things. Now, I'm gonna take us all the way from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end, but how I approach that's gonna be a little bit, probably a little bit different. But I wanna start us with the verse that we're looking at, at at community, verse two in Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. <clears throat> and, uh, and I'm going to read here verses 1 and 2. Luke 11, verses 1 and 2. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Amen. Amen. Now, my central point this morning is going to be that we should pray that our will and God's will lines up with each other when we pray. And here on earth, just as it's perfectly done in heaven, that's going to bring glory to his name. Then his name will be hallowed, okay? And the thing we pray for so that he gets the glory is that his kingdom would come. My outline this morning, I want to use this visual as a way to show what we might call this grand story, this meta-narrative of scripture. And uh, there's a framework of the kingdom, which I had never really quite seen before, that spans this whole meta-narrative story. And so it's really very, very interesting. Remember, we're talking about really one book Now, it may have 66 different parts to it. One author, God the Holy Spirit, and he used 40-plus authors to help write it, write what he wanted, and one subject, that subject, is Jesus Christ and the salvation God provides through him. One grand story, and we're involved in it. It's a real story, it's not a novel, right? It's really true, and we are part of the story. So hopefully, when we get done, you'll see your part more clearly. This framework that I'm gonna call the kingdom is talked about quite frequently in a lot of books in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, in Matthew, the book you're studying, Kingdom of heaven is talked about quite frequently, like 32 times. In the book of Luke, kingdom of God is the term, and it's done some 43 times. Before studying the Gospel, I never knew how pervasive this kingdom terminology is in the Gospels. It's everywhere. It's a great framework. Now, something else that might be helpful, because the, the word kingdom and things we've heard in the past and the way we might think about, well, what is it? What isn't it? Alistair Begg, who is a, a preacher in Cleveland, had a quote he used. He said, What then is the kingdom of God when we discover it? Well, it's God's people in God's place under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. Okay? Let me say that again. God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. I want to focus your attention on the picture, the chart. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at the beginning of the story on the left side of this large arc. I want to focus on the beginning and then I want to jump to the end of the story and look at the end. All right? That's what we're going to do because what we're going to see is that the first Adam took place in Genesis 1 and the last Adam, we're going to see him and the relationship to a kingdom in Revelation 19, 20, and 21. Both ends of the arch have to do with a kingdom. All right? Let's look at that. We don't know on the left side how long the perfect kingdom really lasted until sin came in and it changed everything. But let's look at the beginning in Genesis 1. Verses 26 to 28. Now pay attention, because as I go through these verses, I want you to pick up on all the language that has to do with kingdom throughout this meta-narrative. And here in, in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28, here's what he says. Moses wrote, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on earth. All right, did you pick up on the kingdom language there? The word rule, right? Rule is kingdom language. It's frequently used in regards to kings and kingdoms in the Old Testament. The point here that I wanna make is, at the beginning, the very beginning, there was a kingdom. It was a perfect kingdom, and Adam was to rule over it, and it was on earth, right? You with me? Now again, sin came in, and it changed everything, but the beginning, God's design was for a kingdom on planet Earth to be ruled by man. Hebrews 2, verses five through eight, makes a quote from verse Psalm, Psalm eight, and it says the following. He did not subject angels to angels, the world to come, concerning which we're speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him? or the son of man, that you are concerned about him. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. And then he changes and deviates a little from the psalm. And he says, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. And it begins to take on a little bit of a messianic flavor. But Psalm 8, in its original form, was talking about man. And man having rule over the earth. earth, So the earth was created. It was in a perfect state. Everything God created was good or very good. Adam was to rule and subdue over creation. It was a perfect creation until sin entered. And Adam's role was to be the head of the kingdom, to rule over it, to have dominion over it. Adam sinned, and both Adam and Eve, along with creation, We're no longer in a perfect state. That created the need for a savior, and it created the need for a future perfect kingdom. The key point I learned here was God designed it this way from the beginning. Now, at the end of the story, if we jump all the way across that arc and we come to the last Adam, we're going to find the last Adam who is Christ, is going to reign and rule over a kingdom. And it's also going to be on planet Earth. So let's look now. Now we go all the way to the end of your Bibles in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Listen to what John says. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5 verses 9 through 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Revelation 20, way towards the end. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. There we are on the right side of the ark, reigning in a kingdom with Christ on planet Earth. The kingdom started on earth. Sin entered the equation. It changed everything. The story, the meta narrative, ends with the kingdom on planet earth. Chapter 21, after this thousand year period called the millennium, describes the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. And it's at that point where Jesus hands the kingdom over to the Father. And we can see that quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 23 through 25. And Paul is talking about the resurrection, but he inserts this piece here in chapter 15, and he says, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ's, at his coming, then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Kingdom on the earth at the beginning of the meta narrative, kingdom on the earth at the end of the meta-narrative. God's people in God's place under God's rule receiving God's blessing, all right? That's the book ends. Now let's take a look at the middle. Let's take a look at the meta-narrative as it unfolds and take a look at some of the kingdom language in the storyline And then spend some time talking about where are we in that storyline. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I don't know if anybody in here has ever taken the Bible, Old Testament Bible walkthrough. It came out some years ago. It was really very good. It did a step-by-step description of the whole Old Testament. And it helped you kind of keep track of the story and the chronological historical view of what took place. And so we're gonna kind of do that in in fast motion here to fill the the two points in the arch, to fill the the meta-narrative. And so we're gonna start with Abraham, Genesis 12, verses one through three. But leading up to that, is the, in Genesis, the storyline was after Adam and Eve sinned, man got to a point where he was so corrupt that God sent the flood. And you have Noah and his family surviving through the flood. And then after that, you have Babylon, and all the nations are scattered, and languages start to confuse the people so that they don't rise up like they were planning to do. <clears throat> and then after that, we see God's plan unfold, and he's going to use this guy called Abraham. 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. (coughs) So part of God's plan is that he's going to use this man Abraham to move his plan forward. He chooses Abraham and his family to build a nation, and he's going to use that nation to bless all the other nations of the world. He makes a covenant with Abraham, and he brings about the fulfillment of a promise which would solve this problem of the nations continually rejecting God. The nation, we'll see, would be based in the land of Canaan from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates, and it's gonna grow out of Abraham's ancestral line. And we also see Abraham's, if we crawled through the story, Abraham's righteousness was based on faith in this promise, not on some personal righteousness attained by his own efforts. So after that, in the story, (coughs) we see that Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're held in Egypt in bondage for 400 years. You're familiar with those stories, right? They're real stories, they really happen. It's part of the meta narrative. <clears throat> they come out of Egypt, and they're in the desert. And now we go to Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Do you have some water, David? In the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they had set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there, Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. Thank you. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So, as the story unfolds, God makes a covenant with Israel, the nation that was promised to Abraham to bless all the families of the earth. And his intention was for that nation to be a nation that introduced God to the other nations a priestly kingdom and a holy nation in the future there would be a prophet who would come from that in the tradition of Moses and God would use him to explain everything that prophet was going to be Jesus now the strategy keeps unfolding the story keeps unfolding <clears throat> and we come to Second uh, Samuel and something called the Davidic covenant leading up to this point we see after 40 years in the desert Joshua takes the 12 tribes into the land of Canaan we enter a period of judges for 400 years we enter a period that's often referenced the United Kingdom that's about 120 years And in that United Kingdom, there were three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And those three kings, Saul, had no heart for God. David had a whole heart for God. Solomon had half a heart for God. For David, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I'm only going to read verses 12 through 16, we see this covenant that's made with David. King of Israel, it says, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, He will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever." Now, at this point in the meta-narrative, we see God makes a covenant with David, and he says his kingdom would be one, and his throne would last forever. David saw this as part of God's plan, making Israel a great nation, making a great name for himself, and David uses the Psalms as a way to teach the nation of Israel and to instruct his people about God. The future king we would see in other prophecies, would come from Galilee, and he would be both God and man. David foresaw this king as his lord, and that he would undergo decay, but would sit at the right hand of God, as if he was predicting his resurrection. After Solomon dies, his son, the kingdom splits in two, and eventually God has to discipline both sides of that, and then we enter a period called <clears throat> the divided kingdom. So David was God's choice, and David was the one promised, and then there was a promise for his son, and there was a future promise that his throne would endure forever. But Solomon's sons fought, argued, and split, this United Kingdom. And you had two parts to that breakage. In the north, you had what was called Israel, and in the south, you had what was called Judah. And those two would fight, and they would cause problems, but the worst thing they did is they started getting into idolatry. In the north, you had some 19 kings, and there were zero good kings in Israel through the next hundreds of years. In Judah, you had like 20 kings and there were only eight good kings that arose. And throughout that whole period, God was using the prophets to say, look, you guys have to shape up or you're going to ship out. You have to, you have to stop with all this idolatry and they didn't listen. And so God had to discipline them. And this northern part of the kingdom, the northern part was taken over by the Assyrians and they were scattered like dust in the wind. <clears throat> and eventually, sometime later, 100 plus years later, Judah, the southern kingdom, still wouldn't listen to the prophets. And so God had Judah taken over by the Babylonians and they were, Judah was taken off to Babylon, where they were going to spend 70 years. Now, I heard David talking about Daniel this morning, and that's the point in time when that's happening. <clears throat> and the Israelites are in Babylon uh, until after 70 years, and then after 70 years, they return back to Israel, And you have the prophets, Ezra and Nehemiah, and they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the wall, and they have Jerusalem back for a while. But from that point in Babylon, all the way out to the end of the arch is what's referenced as the times of the Gentiles. Okay? And you'll hear about that in other passages in the Gospels some 400 years of silence where there is no men of God writing for the Bible, then we see Jesus. And now on your charts, we see an arrow coming down. So on the left part of that arch, God's plan was Israel. And he used Abraham, Moses, and David as key points in that plan to carry forth this meta-narrative. Jesus now comes to earth. And we see that this story develops even further. And we can reference Mark and Matthew and Luke, they all have a similar passage in there. When Jesus comes and one of the first things he says, and I'll use Mark 1:14 as the example. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. (laughs) Repent and believe in the gospel. So here's Jesus. He comes down to earth, God as man. He proclaims the good news. And he says the kingdom of God is at hand. He identifies himself as the son of God, the coming king that was promised in all these prophecies in the Old Testament. The essence of that news was revealed. He would be killed, buried, and resurrected. And those who believed in him would be part of his kingdom. Those who believed was a small group of followers. They remained with him after his resurrection and ascension, and they were to proclaim this good news, this gospel, to the whole world. It was the continuation of all the families or all the nations in the world will be blessed. Peter proclaimed that gospel. Paul continued to proclaim it. And what we see is Jesus affected or created or opened the way to the kingdom with his death and resurrection. We can see that in the Gospel of John chapter 3 verses 3 through 5. Look at that with me. John 3 verses 3 through 5. He's talking with a very high-level leader in the nation of Israel, Nicodemus. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's kingdom language. And we see that talked about. Paul references Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. He says, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We begin to see God's rescue plan unfold as part of the narrative. And the key to the rescue plan is Jesus. We see the meta-narrative unfold after the Gospels, we come to the point where Jesus is ready to go and be resurrected or ascended up into heaven. And we look at a passage in, Chap- in Acts chapter one which is very interesting, Acts one, <clears throat> verses one to eight. Now listen very carefully to what's going on here because it says a lot about the kingdom. The first account I composed, Theophilus, That's his Gospel of Luke. That's the first account. About all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. There's that kingdom language again. Jesus tells his disciples there to be witnesses throughout the world. Matthew 28, he gave them the authority to do that. Jesus told his disciples to go and wait for instructions from the Spirit on how to carry that out. They proclaimed the gospel, they gathered believers into new communities, <clears throat> the witness to the nations was given shape through specific work by Paul and his team. They proclaimed the gospel to strategic cities. They instruct the new believers in the apostles' teaching, and they formed these believers into churches and appointed elders in every church. And the meta-narrative keeps unfolding. Are you with me? So now we're in the chart. Jesus has been crucified died, buried, and resurrected, the arrow goes up, and now on the right side, we see the church becomes God's way of proclaiming the gospel to the nations. Israel has been set aside, but it has not been replaced. The church becomes the focus and part of God's plan. The apostles and Paul are the ones who are now the key figures. And we see that happen with Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians. And in Ephesians, the reference is, it's a long set, so I'm not going to read, we don't have time to read through the whole thing, but if you read through 2.11 through 4.26, you will see a lot of what the Marinetta, Marin, na, metanarrative is trying to say is part of God's plan. Christ's plan, the church, was a mystery, but now it has been revealed. Paul's stewardship was preach the gospel to the Gentiles and bring to light what was the mystery, that mystery being Christ and his previously hidden plan. He reveals Christ's specific strategy for community life of his churches. You could call it a family of families. The church, this church, is a family of families. He uses family language often in Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. And that community life shows the beauty of Jesus Christ to the world. There's only one foundation, one body, one spirit, one hope of calling, one Lord, one faith, one Baptist, one God and Father. And different leaders are in those churches and different gifts are given for those churches. And people can begin to see Christ in his fullness when the local church is demonstrating that beauty. Even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places would be amazed at the wisdom of God using this as part of his purpose and plan. And then we see the strategy comes to realization and unfolds even more in Matthew chapter 24 and Jesus is talking about the end and he starts to talk about the very end of where that arch is and I'm going to read from chapter 24 verses 3 through 14. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, in various places, famines and earthquakes. But these are just the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. False prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then. The end will come. Now there's Jesus predicting the very end of that arch, leading us back into the book of Revelation. But here we see that before the end comes, the kingdom, and before the kingdom is fully realized, there's going to be a great increase of wars, A final hatred of Israel will culminate. It's gonna be led by a world leader predicted by Daniel. He would destroy Israel were it not for the return of Christ. The church, God's new people, will be persecuted and hated by the nations as well. But in the day of Christ's return, he will defeat the nations in a great battle and fully establish his kingdom. Jerusalem will be the center of that kingdom. Christ will be king over the earth, and everyone will know at that time who he is. And there you have the meta-narrative from beginning to end. It starts with a kingdom on earth, it ends with a kingdom on earth. Now, perhaps many of you Depending on what you've been taught in years past, you are thinking you're going to spend eternity in heaven. No, that's not correct. (laughs) You're going to spend eternity with God here on earth, a thousand years in the millennium, helping reign with Jesus, and then the New Jerusalem, which will be on earth. It started on earth, and it ends on earth. That's the meta narrative. And in between is this storyline that we've seen. Israel and the church are both used by God to proclaim the truth to the nations, and both the Israel and the church will be in the millennium and in the new Jerusalem. Not one or the other, both. Are you with me? All right? Good things to hope for good things to look forward to. Now, the question is, okay, where are we on this meta-narrative storyline? Well, we're somewhere over here towards the end of the arch. Exactly where? I don't know. It's not for me to know the times and the epochs, just like it wasn't for the apostles. But it sure does seem like it's getting close. So we might ask, so what's God doing here? Jesus came and he leaves. What happens? The kingdom's proclaimed. It's still proclaimed. The very last thing in the book of Acts talks about Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's still doing it. But Jesus has died, resurrected, and ascended. That actually signaled the end of the beginning. He's not returned yet. Why not? I love the way Alistair Begg says it. Because he's looking for kids for his kingdom. He's still looking for kids for his kingdom. Now the question for us is, okay he's not here, what are we supposed to be doing? And he's got a parable that he gave about that. I learned as I was preparing some time ago for this, it's a parable I read many, many times, but I didn't pay attention. That happens a lot when I read scripture. I don't know if it happens to you or not. But once you pay attention, the key to understanding the parable is described by Jesus himself at the beginning, not at the end. Look with me into Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 11. Luke 19, verse 11. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem. He was coming back into Jerusalem for the last time. Leading up to his death and resurrection. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. All right? Very key, very key point. And Jesus said to them, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. Now, Jesus is telling them a parable. They think the kingdom's going to come immediately, and he's saying, no, I'm going to leave and go get a kingdom, and then I'm going to come back later. He continues, he called 10 of his slaves and he gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made me ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him, Also, you are to be over five cities. And another came, saying, Master, here's your mina which I kept, put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down. You reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am exacting, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him, give it to the one who has the 10 minas. So here, here we see a parable. Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom's not coming right now. I have to go, I'm gonna get the kingdom, I'm gonna return with the kingdom. In the meantime, I want you to be doing something. I want you, and I'm going to give you the resources to invest. And for us today, we need to be thinking this is an investment of our time, our resources, our money, our time, our gifts, our families, to help in the rescue plan to bring people into the kingdom until Jesus comes. That's our job. That's our role today. We're supposed to be part of God's story by being part of the rescue plan, by proclaiming the truth about Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, helping be part of the rescue plan for them to get transferred from a domain of darkness into the kingdom of light and Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be about. So are you doing that? Are you? It's a question I have to keep asking myself because it's very easy to get complacent and get caught up in the things of the world instead of the things of a future kingdom and helping people that God wants to rescue and bring into that kingdom and eventually be part of this kingdom on earth and reign with Christ for a thousand years, and then enter with God into the new Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is going to say, he's going to ask, what did you do with the minas I gave you? The resources, the time, the gifts, the people. We're going to be held accountable. Remember, one book, one author, one subject. The end of the story is the same as the beginning of the story. God's kingdom. It's a kingdom framework. It's a meta-narrative, a big, grand story from beginning to end. It's all about God. It's all about his kingdom. And it's all about what do we do as part of the story, as part of the meta-narrative that God has given us in this book called The Bible. Who? Christians from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue, God's people. Where? In God's place. Where is that? The Millennium Kingdom and the New Jerusalem. Doing what? Submitting to his kingship and enjoying his blessing. Let me close with this Titus passage. Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Amen? It's a good story. It's a grand story. And we can keep learning about it. And I don't care how much you learn about it and everything on the chart from beginning to end, you're never going to get 100%. (laughs) But we're going to try and get and learn as much as we can. So, God bless you. And I pray that You are going to be out using your minas to help rescue people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We're going to close in a song, and it's in your bulletins, and it's titled, Oh Great God. heaven, occupy my lovely heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy